begin this morning, I want to start with a question. Have you ever found worship to be frustrating? Let me tell you a little story about a pastor. His name was Jim Dunn. He's pastor of Life Spring Community Church, and his wife's, wife's name was Gladys. And Gladys was very friendly, very welcoming, and it's really just a great companion spouse to a pastor. And on one particular Sunday morning, Pastor Jim kind of went pretty long, and, and, and a few people in the congregation actually dozed off. And so after the service was over, his wife went over to one of the people who were still sleeping and to, to be sociable. She uh, actually extended her hand out and to try to revive him from her stupor, she said, Hello, I'm Gladys Dunn. And the gentleman looked up at her and responded, I am too. I'm thinking maybe some of you are sleeping out there already. So, you know, thinking about that, you know, we come into worship and sometimes our expectations of worship aren't met. Sometimes we want the service to go one way and it goes a different way. We want the message to be done one way and it's chosen to be preached a different way. Sometimes even the pastor can get a little long-winded. I never get that way, right? But some pastors, and we wonder if he or she is ever going to get done with the message. Well, we're in the midst of a sermon series right now uh, on the Psalms. And the Psalms are very honest and very open and uh, they're very true. And they speak truthfully about who we are. But they also especially speak true, truly about who God is and uh, what he's about. And there's psalms of, uh, uh, of lament. There's psalms of praise. Last week, Pastor Doug did a, a message on Psalm 51, which is a very powerful psalm that speaks to our need, really, to confess our sin before God so that God can forgive us of our sins and even remove from us the burden of guilt and shame. Well, this psalm, Psalm 100, that Hannah read, is a well-known psalm of thanksgiving, and it's a powerful proclamation of worshiping an awesome and a, and a powerful and a faithful God. In the last year or so, our church council has been working on bringing clarity to our mission as a church, and we still have the same mission statement. That mission statement is on the screen. It's to be a high-impact, transformative community by going deeper in Christ and further in mission. Now, we've been unpacking that a little bit more, and the council staff have been prayerfully uh, trying to define what are the priorities that we can take away from that mission that we feel like God is calling us to. And we've come up with four priorities, and one of those priorities is to, it goes with being with uh, deeper in Christ, and it has to do with, with really with worship, that we believe that God is calling us as his people to be worshipers. We're to worship the awesome and the true God. And we define worship as our wholehearted response to who God is and what he does. Now, when we hear the word worship, we often think of Sunday morning services, and maybe even more specifically, when we sing songs or we sing hymns praising God. But really, God defines worship as our wholehearted response at all times, even times other than Sunday morning, to who God is and what he does. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just a service. And when we live fully into our calling as God's children for him and for his purpose for us, we're worshiping God. So worship is what we do on Sunday mornings together as a worshiping church, but it's also every aspect of our lives fully committed to Christ. And this Psalm 100, it focuses maybe a little bit more on the corporate aspect of God's people worshiping him. So I want us just to dive in a little bit more to see what we can learn of seeking God wholeheartedly. And so as a basic definition of worship, I want us to think about worship is declaring to God his worth. It's when we give God his proper value. 
the Hebrew word for worship literally means to bow down. And so in light of that, we're making a statement of God's sovereignty or his authority over us. The Greek word for worship is a little different. It it means to kiss forward. And literally the word is also used uh, to to explain a dog licking the hand of its master. And it's showing proper respect. Now, it's interesting to me as I was reading that definition of the Greek understanding of worship, it actually made me think about my own dog and my own relationship to my dog and what I've learned about worship from my own dog. Now, give me a little bit of latitude here. Uh, God is not going to be the dog at the end of the story. Don't worry. But, But to think about our relationship, when I come home at night, my dog is really excited to see me. He comes running to the door. He's enthusiastic. And we have this little ritual where I bend down a little bit, and he actually reaches up and he licks my hand, and he's showing me respect. He's giving me honor. He's just showing me love. And he loves to spend time with me. He loves to go on long walks with me. Uh, when other family members come home, he has one of these favorite things he often does. is He rolls over on his back, and he kind of puts his feet up, and he likes it when he, we rub his belly or we scratch his, his tummy. And I initially thought it's just because he likes his belly to be rubbed and scratched, but I've been reading about dog behavior, and what I learned from that position is actually what the dog is indicating is complete, full submission to those that he's around. And also there's a a combination of a wholehearted act of vulnerability and trust and a a yearning for for intimacy with, with us. And so, you know, genuine worship of God is all of those things. It's the submission of all of our nature. To, to God. It's a wholehearted act of vulnerability and trust in a good and a faithful God. It's a yearning for intimacy with our Creator. In an authentic worship, there's always a sense of awe. The presence of God is awesome. He's so much more powerful and holy than we are. I love to look at Isaiah chapter 6. It's one of the places that I just see that taking place. It, it describes when Isaiah goes to the temple to worship and he's struck by the awe, the presence of of God in that place. Have you ever been awestruck by someone or something? When we discuss this in the context of our own faith, we, we must remember that worship is not about ourselves. Worship is about God. We're doing worship correctly when we're declaring God is worthy of our attention and our adoration. So in every way, worship is worth our effort. And when we have our relationship with God right, we're, we are truly honoring and glorifying Him, our life comes together and it finds fulfillment in that time and that place and that understanding of worship. So worship is worth doing. This is why we're to passionately pursue God with our lives. Worship is about being right with God. It's knowing that our relationship with Him is an all-important and it must be pursued in everything, with everything that we have and everything that we are. Our relationship with God is to be the priority that everything else falls under. Everything, whatever we have, whatever priorities we have, no matter how important they are, they pale in comparison to the absolute necessity of worship. So how do we passionately pursue God? Well, in our study, I want us to look at Psalm 100 a little closer, and, and I think we can see some ways that the psalmist suggests that we ought to pursue God. The first way, I think, is to, to pursue Him joyfully. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. The psalmist writes, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. And as we see here, we should worship with enthusiasm. The shout that's described here is not some indiscriminate 
noise. It's a shout of homage and appreciation and adoration. In other words, our worship is meant to be vocal. It's meant to be public. It's, it's meant to be expressive. You know, many of us are, are sports fans of some teams that we love and we support passionately. And I think, you know, we could take a lesson from that for ourselves in terms of how we approach and we respond to God with joy and with enthusiasm and with expectation of who God is and what God is doing. You know, the truth is we ought to be expressing to God heart-filled praise. Daily we should be coming to God and with eagerness and with adoration. It's a wholehearted participation. We have a great reason to do so. I mean, we have the best news in the world, right? We, be, we, we are all summoned to worship because the whole world uh, belongs to God. In the second line of this uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, Worship the Lord with gladness. And the, the NIV uses the, the verb worship, which I think in my mind um, is, is a little bit curious translation. And I think it kind of jumps ahead of the meaning of the sentence. The Hebrew word, I think, is better uh, understood to be serve. And if you think about that, it, says, it would say serve the Lord with gladness. And it speaks of being humble. It's a word that speaks of responding to someone who is greater. And one of the implications of the words uh, translated serve, it closes the gap between work and worship. And in other words, all that we do is a matter of worship. And all is to be done, whatever we do, any day, at any time, is to be done with our relationship with God in mind. And then the final line in this, these first two verses is an invitation. An invitation to come into His presence. Literally, it means to come before His face. In other words, it's a gracious invitation to draw close to come face to face with god which if you think about it that's a very uh, just an amazing thing to think about that god is inviting us to come face to face to him our awesome creator our awesome god to be in his very presence and so when we sing we're not supposed to sing weakly we're supposed to sing not supposed to sing mildly we're to sing with full voice with passion to sing with all that we are and all that we have. And that's what I appreciate. Some of us, it's a little bit hard for us to carry a melody, but that's what I love about the verse that says we can all make a joyful noise before the Lord. So as a whole, our approach to God is to reflect joy and gladness. It's, it's also practical as well, you know, because somber Christians are not very contagious. No one's really interested in a faith that's characterized by sadness and melancholy. So the psalmist is encouraging us that we're called to joyfully and passionately pursue God. The second way I think we can see in this passage to pursue God is intelligently. Now, when I did this earlier, uh, I was going back through and looking at that passage. I also want to add another I word. I think we are supposed to pursue him intelligently, but I also think with intimacy in that same, little, that same verse there in verse 3. Let me read it again. It says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So we need, we need to worship with perspective. Worship's not based on who I am. It's not based on who you are. It's based on who God is. It's fitting to praise Him. You know, every year, um, the president goes over to the Capitol to give his State of the Union address. And before he enters the chamber, uh, someone stands up and says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States, and immediately after that's said, everybody stands up and begins to applaud. Now, some of them are not applauding wholeheartedly, or it's not because they, they feel like it, but they applaud because of who He is. 
He's the commander-in-chief of our country. He's the president. So we're called on to have an intelligent understanding of the God we worship. Worship is not for the uninformed. You see, the more I understand God, the more I'm motivated to worship Him. I've had the opportunity just yesterday, uh, a, a pastor, a colleague of mine that's in the covenant denomination is on a sabbatical, and he's going around uh, talking to different pastors about what their experience is. He's wanting to grow and learn. And so we met yesterday, and, and he asked me a question I found really interesting. He said, what have you learned in all the years that you've served as a pastor? And I reflected on that a moment, and then I thought, the one thing that came to my mind was I, I told him, I said, you know, I said, the thing I'm, I'm most pleased about is that I am more in love with Jesus today than I was 17 years ago when God called me into the ministry. The thing I discover is the more I pursue God, the more I learn to love Him, the more I know about Him, the more that I'm motivated to worship Him. And it's interesting that this knowledge of God comes to us as a gift. It's a gift from God. But it also comes by command. We are to know who God is. We're not to settle for what we already know, but we're to keep growing in our relationship with Him and our understanding of Him. And we're to confess the truth of His person. He is the covenant Lord. He is the only true God. But this is not only confession. We're also to acknowledge our accountability before our Creator. We are creatures. We are creations. But not that's not all. We are His creatures. This passage says we are His sheep. We have received a privileged position when we come into the family of God. We've been given a great place where He provides. He protects. He guides us. So we're to approach Him intelligently, but also seeking Him with intimacy. And we're to passionately pursue our God. The third way I see in this passage in Psalm 100 is mutually. Look at verse 4. It says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. We're called to worship in community. These lines of the psalm don't want us to miss the importance of the communal act of worship. We gain strength by recognizing that we honor the same God. We experience unity by being in concert with our praise. We're called away from our daily practices and our routines, and we're actually called to slow down and to pause and to reflect so that we can get our spirits in tune with God's spirit. And the psalmist wants us to get our eyes off of ourselves and our own stuff, and he wants us to participate in the larger household of faith. And in contrast to our culture, he wants us to be thankful. He doesn't want us to assume things. He wants us to be grateful. We are to see and to rejoice in what we have. And God wants his people to thank him. He, we, we should look and see what God has done and what he is doing, and we want to, we want to thank him. And in fact, we, want, we must thank him as the giver of every good thing that comes to us. Have you heard the story about a little boy who... Uh, went to his friend's house for his friend's birthday party. And when the little boy came home, his mom asked him, she said, Bobby, did you thank the, your friend's mother for hosting the party? And he said, well, Mom, I was in line to thank her, and the little girl in front of me said, thank you. And the lady said, don't mention it, so I didn't. <laughs> but you know what? When we think about God, right, you know, we think about this situation, little Bobby broke a social rule. You're always, you're always supposed to say thank you to your host or your hostess, and it's true for God as well. When it comes to thanking God, we can't remain silent, and we must not remain silent. 
But for some reason, thanking God can be difficult for us. We can be forgetful of God's faithfulness. And we are so easily distracted away from worshiping Him uh, in gratitude. Um, you know, a number of years ago, there was an older movie that was made about Robin Hood. It was the movie that Kevin Costner played Robin Hood. I don't know if some of you saw that movie. But there was a scene in that movie where Rob, there's a, a large crowd of people, and they're watching uh, a boy, actually, shooting arrows into the bullseye of a target. He was really proficient at hitting a target. It was amazing. And Robin Hood was watching this, and he came up to the boy, uh, and he said, can you hit the target amid uh, distractions? And so the boy took up the challenge. He took up his bow, and just as he's getting ready to release the arrow, Robin Hood takes an arrow, and he, and he flicks the feathers against the boy's ear. And the boy shoots the arrow, and it goes way off target, misses the target by quite a few feet. And there's quite a bit of laughter amongst the crowd. They're having fun with this. And after the laughter dies down, Maid Marian had been watching what was happening. And she comes up to Robin Hood and she said, can you hit the target amidst distractions? And so Robin Hood takes up the challenge. He takes his bow and his arrow. And just as he's ready to release the arrow, Maid Marian blows flirtatiously on his face. And, of course, the arrow goes way off target. It glances off of a tree. It almost hits somebody that's watching what's, what's going on. And the point of this is that distractions can come in all different kinds of ways, all different types. Whether they're painful distractions or they're pleasant distractions, the result can be the same. We can miss what God is doing. We can miss where God is at in all of that. So the warning would be don't, don't dare come to worship apathetically. We do not come to focus on our problems and our stresses. We, we come regardless of our circumstances. We join together as God's people to remind ourselves of the priority of our God in our lives. And we set aside the distractions of our own differences. And mutually, we passionately pursue our God. And the beauty of worshiping in community is that if we're distracted or we're burdened, that we can watch our brothers and sisters as they worship the God with, God with hearts attuned to Him. And it can draw us into worship with, of God. I don't know how many times I've come into worship somewhat distracted or, you know, bothered by something in my life. And watching you all passionately pursue God in worship draws my heart into a more worshipful uh, place, a more worshipful experience. And so we're thank- when we join together with thankful and joyful hearts, placing our priority of worship on true north, on our God and our Creator and our God our, who's our Savior, God meets us in that place. And then the fourth way I think we can approach God is confidently. Look at the last verse. This is verse 5. The psalmist writes, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We can worship God because we're secure. We have a God that has redeemed us. He's bought us. He's made us His family. You know, there was an old cartoon called Dennis the Menace, and there was one strip in Dennis the Menace where Dennis and his little buddy Joey are coming out of the Wilson's house, and they've got a handful of cookies, and they're really excited. And, uh, and if you remember much about Dennis the Menace, Dennis was a menace, especially to the Wilsons and especially to Mr. Wilson. He was quite a character. But they're coming out of the house, the Wilson's house, with a handful of cookies, and Joey looks up at Dennis, and he goes, Dennis, he goes, what did we deserve, do to deserve these cookies? And Dennis looked at him and he said, well, Mrs. Wilson didn't give us to, to us because we're nice. She gave us, gave, the, gave us the cookies because she's nice. 
And that's the same thing about God as well. God doesn't bless us. He doesn't give us good gifts because we're good and we're nice and we do everything right and we're, you know, just in a great place with Him. It's actually probably the opposite. There are times we're not very nice. We're not very good. And yet God is still good and God is still generous. And He gives us those, those gifts because God is good. God is faithful. God is loving. And that is truth that endures. His mercy is everlasting. And there's always a fresh supply. Therefore, we can confidently pursue God. So I just want to ask a couple of questions at the end of the message to cause you to reflect on this passage and on God's calling in in our lives to worship Him with thankful hearts. Are you passionate about worship? Does this passage command us to worship God or does it encourage us to worship God? What I would respond, yes, to both of those questions. It's both uh, an encouragement but also a commandment. We're not only encouraged to do so, but we must worship God. The writers of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 15 says this. He says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You see, worship's not a spectator sport. We are participants in worshiping our Creator. Therefore, we must not be ashamed of expressing love to our Lord. The second question is, so are you pursuing after God with your heart and with your life? My encouragement is, do not rob yourself of deeper and more meaningful communion with the Lord. Pursue Him passionately. Verses 4 and 5 in this this, um, chapter with this phrase, it says, Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. So I want to I challenge you with something this morning as we prepare to leave uh, today. And, and so what I want you to do, I want to invite you to do, is over the next seven days, is actually to take one minute at the end of your day, uh, before you go to bed, before you go to sleep, take one minute and reflect on your day and, and offer thanksgiving to God for what you can see in that day, for His goodness and His faithfulness and His loving kindness. And if you look at that day and you can't think of something, then look back further until you find something that you can praise Him for His goodness and His faithfulness. So take the one-minute challenge every day this week for seven days. If you want to go for the gold, I've got a second challenge behind that one. So tonight, take one minute at the end of the day. And then Monday night, take an extra minute. Go two minutes and take time to reflect on your day and how God has been good and God has been faithful, and God has been loving. And add a minute every day. Does that make sense? So tonight, one minute. Monday night, two minutes. Tuesday night, three, and so forth, and so on. So what I'd like you to do right now, you know, because I have great intentions when I come into worship, and and I hear other people preach, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that. That sounds great. And then I wake up three days later, and I realize I haven't done any of it. So what I want you to do is take your worship guide right now. Take the pen in front of you, and on the top of the cover of that, just write down, if this is your plan to do this, write down one minute on your worship guide. And that hopefully will be a reminder to you to take time to do it this week. And then later on, right after the service is over, you know, take out your smartphone or take out your whatever, your schedule, your calendar, whatever, and then just go ahead and schedule one minute uh, right before you go to bed in your calendar for the next seven days so you won't forget to take some time and reflect on that and and think about it. And then the last thing I'm going to ask you to do this morning with that worship guide and with your pen is let's just take a moment right now 
and write down one thing that you can be thankful to God for his goodness, for his faithfulness, for his loving kindness. Because it just starts to move us into this process where we begin to reflect on God and we worship him and we think about his goodness, his faithfulness, and his loving kindness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you, God, are so good and you are so faithful. God, we can look and see the ways that you've been at work in our lives, in our church, in our community. And God, we're so grateful. God, we're grateful for Christ and for what he has done for us and what he's accomplished and that he's opened up the, the, the gates of heaven and the doors to a relationship to you because of his love and his sacrifice. God, we're thankful for the gift of your Holy Spirit where you reside within us when we've given our life to Christ. And you literally lead us and you guide us and you uh, walk with us everywhere that we go. And God, help us as your children to be grateful, to worship you with, with grateful and thankful hearts for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And, and God, we don't want to be complacent. We don't want to take you for granted. But God, we want to be mindful of who you are and to live our lives out of the overflow of, of a thankful heart to you. God, that would be our prayer this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.